0: We'll keep that passage open, Now we're going to have a look at that for the next few minutes. Uh, but to begin with, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, me and a few other blokes from church were together watching the State of Origin up at Marty's place. I'll remind you of which game I'm talking about. It's the one that New South Wales won. Oh, sorry, the first one that New South Wales won, just in case you weren't aware. Anyway, we were watching the game and we were talking about the NRL, as you do when you watch footy, and Simon, I think it was, asked me uh, who I supported, who's my team. And so I told him, without even hesitating, the St. George Illawarra Dragons, they're my team. But then I kind of stopped and thought about that for a second. What does it mean to support a footy team? Well... I couldn't really remember the last time that I watched a game, or attended a game. I probably can't even remember the name of any current players. You see, I used to support the Dragons, but really, I I don't support them anymore at all. They they still have this identity as my team, but the reality is I, I don't actually support them at all. It's the same, I often tell people that I enjoy surfing. But the reality is I hardly surf at all anymore. You know, I might get out a few times a year. I do enjoy it when I do, but it's hard to kind of be honest and say that I enjoy surfing. I can tell you all sorts of things about myself, but the truth of the matter is seen not so much in what I tell you, it's in what I do, isn't it? Today we come to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and we're going to see that the same can be said of Christians. Jesus teaches us us that truly following him is more than just what we say. It's more than just what we know. The truth of the matter will be seen by what we do. And the sobering conclusion that Jesus helps us to see here at the end of his sermon is that not everyone who says they are a disciple of Jesus is a disciple. In the passage just before this one, which we looked at last week, Jesus wanted us to see the danger of false prophets. He said, watch out for false prophets, people who will claim to be speaking words from God, but who are in fact spreading dangerous lies. He said, watch out for them. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Last week he warned us about false prophets, but then today he turns and points at us and says, watch out for false Christians. Just as there are false prophets, there are also false disciples. Not everyone who goes to church is part of God's family. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who looks like they're following Jesus actually follows Jesus. And so the question that we all need to wrestle with, whether you're a Christian or not, if you're here and you're still investigating Christianity, if you're not sure if you're following Jesus, I'm really glad that you're here. This is particularly relevant to you this morning. But even if you're here and you've been a Christian your entire life, this is an important question for you to wrestle with. But what does it mean to truly be a disciple of Jesus? How do I know that I'm actually following Jesus if it's possible to look like you are, but not? Well, that's where we're heading this morning. It's an important question for us to answer because as we see in this passage, the stakes are high. Those who claim to be disciples but are not, well, look at the words that Jesus says to them. Away from me. You have nothing to do with me. Friends, the stakes are high. So let's give this some serious thought. Let's ask God that he would help us understand this passage together. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word reveals your will to us. Lord, as we read your word now, help us not to just hear it and do nothing with it. Lord, change us. Transform us. Help us not just to hear what you want us to hear, but to believe what you want us to believe and to do what you want us to do. We pray this because it's good for us and we pray this because it brings you glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Excuse me. For the past few months, we've been considering Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Thirteen weeks we've been looking at this sermon. Today we come right to the very end. And as we get to the end of the sermon, well, we get to the real the business end. It's the pointy end. For three chapters, Jesus has been teaching people what life will look like in his kingdom. He's been teaching us about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of which he is the king. He's like the the leader of a political party in the lead up to an election. He's laying out a picture of what the good life will be with him in charge. Uh, The big difference is that Jesus actually tells the truth. And so, as he does that, today we, we get right to the end of his message. He's laid out his policy platform. He's painted for us a picture of how life will be if he is in charge. And now he wants your vote. See, this is the pointy end, it's the business end. He's shown us how different our lives could be with him as king. And now it's time for us to respond. But as we do that, Jesus wants to make sure that we understand what's involved when it comes to letting Jesus be king. And so today, in these last verses of his sermon, he shows us what it means to be a true disciple. He wants to make sure that we don't misunderstand what's at stake here. And so we begin in verse 21 with the confronting reality that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word Lord, it's a, it's a general word. It's a word that anyone might use. It's the word for master or sir It's kind of the equivalent that we might use today. It's a term of respect for someone who has some authority, sir. But it's not just that. You see, in the Old Testament, God revealed his name to his people as Yahweh. Uh, But Jewish people, well, they didn't like actually saying God's name because they had a fear of disrespecting it, dishonouring it. And so they they wouldn't say the name Yahweh. And instead, in Scripture, they would actually replace the word with the word for Lord. And so if you look in your English Bibles, in the Old Testament in particular, uh, you often see Lord with all capital letters Well, what would have been there is the word for Yahweh, but instead we have Lord. And so what Jesus is saying here, not everyone who calls me Lord, so not everyone who speaks to me with respect, not everyone who says, sir, but also not everyone who recognizes that Jesus is God will enter his kingdom. Not everyone who claims to follow Jesus actually follows Jesus. But the disturbing thing about this verse is how much the people Jesus is talking about look like disciples. See, when I speak about false disciples, false Christians, you might think of nominal Christians, the people who rock uh, rock up to church once a year, the people who tick Christian on the census form but have never had anything to do with the Christian community. But look at how Jesus describes these people in verse 22. He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. These are not flaky Christians or or people who, you know, might identify as Christian but don't really look like it. They look every bit like they're following Jesus, don't they? They are people who are driving out demons, performing miracles in Jesus' name. They look legit. But Jesus says, not only are they not his disciples, they will not enter his kingdom. Now, if Jesus can say this about people who drive out demons, people who perform miracles, well, surely he could say that about our church too, couldn't he? The uncomfortable reality that this passage opens for us is that it's entirely possible, maybe even likely, that not everyone sitting here this morning will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who's a member of this church will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who reads their Bible or who gives 10% of all they earn or who even pastors a church will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's an uncomfortable thought, isn't it? There are people amongst us, people in the church around the world, people who look like disciples who look every bit like they are following Jesus. And yet Jesus says, they are not my disciples. They will not enter his kingdom. They will one day hear the words of verse 23, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. I want you to think really hard about whether that could be you. Now, I don't know who you are. I don't know who in this room belongs to Jesus and who does not. And I sincerely hope that if you claim to be following Jesus, that you actually are. I really hope that is the case. But the reality is that you can fool me quite easily. And that you can fool the people sitting around you just as easily. You could have everyone in this room fooled, thinking that you are a disciple when in fact you're not. But the reality is that you can't fool God. And you won't fool God. One day you will stand before God. You'll have to give account to him on how you have responded to his son, And you won't trick him. And so friend, if you're here this morning and you're faking it, if if you're professing faith with your mouth, but you don't actually believe it in your heart, then hear Jesus' warning this morning, and I invite you, become a true disciple today. Don't fake it. Don't try and fool people. Become the real thing, because the real thing is so much better. That does lead, open the question, doesn't it? What does it mean to be a true disciple? And Jesus tells us in verse 21, doesn't he? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, being a disciple is more about more than just saying the right thing, saying, Lord, Lord. It's more than just knowing the right things. It means doing the will of the Father. It means doing what God wants for you. And so the question is, what does God want for you? Well, for starters, God wants you to love him with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. He wants you to love your neighbors as as much as you would love yourself. He wants you to love what he loves and he wants you to hate what he hates. Which means he wants you to love truth and justice and mercy. He wants you to hate greed and pride and violence. He wants you to trust him and obey him and listen to him. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to depend on him. But you know what he wants for you most of all? He wants you. He wants you. God is not someone who wants something from you as if he needs you to serve him. He's not some miserable slave master watching you to make sure that you give him absolutely everything that you owe him. God is not like that. He loves you. And he wants you to enjoy him forever. Which is why he has no interest in people who pay lip service to him. He doesn't want people just to say, Lord, Lord. He doesn't want people who can just drive out demons. He wants people who will love him, who will enjoy him. Friends, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He offers eternal life to everyone who will receive him. He doesn't want you to drive out demons and perform miracles in his name. He's not impressed by you going to church or giving to the needy. He wants you to... He wants your whole heart, all of your love and devotion. And he wants you to get on board with his agenda for the world. He wants you to get on board with his mission to see more and more people gathered into his kingdom. And so friends, if you're not yet following Jesus... If you're here this morning and you're just still thinking about what it means to be a Christian, if you're not sure, if you're here this morning and you think you're following Jesus, but now you're starting to have doubts about that, friend, let me invite you to follow Jesus today. Receive Him. Accept his offer of life. And friends, if you're already following Jesus, come with me to verse 24 where we see that following him means consistently listening to and applying what he says. Because in verses 24 to 27, Jesus tells the story of two owner builders who both build houses, but only one builds Something that lasts. And the difference between these two builders and their two houses is simple and yet profound. One of the builders makes a connection between knowledge and action. That's the point of this parable, isn't it? One makes the connection between knowledge and action. Both men know that you need to build a house on a good foundation. One man applies that knowledge and actually builds his house on a good foundation. On the the surface, the two houses look the same. They might exist on the same street for years and years. They both look the same. They can both look to be in good shape. But as the apartment building in Surfside, Florida has taught us in the past week... It's what lies beneath the surface that matters. So friends, the question for you to answer this morning is, are you a doer of God's word or just a hearer? Now, all of you are here this morning and you are hearing the words of Jesus. You've all heard Jesus say something, but are you turning that knowledge into action? Now, I think there's a bit of a dangerous trend in Christianity where we start to see the marker of being a disciple as those who have knowledge. We start to think that following Jesus means knowing about Jesus. We think of a true Christian as being someone who knows their Bible really well. Now, don't misunderstand me. Know your Bible really well. Wisdom is essential. Knowledge is essential. But knowledge is not an end in itself. Knowledge needs to be applied. So how are you going at putting into practice the words of Jesus? Whether you're just hearing them for the first time today or whether you've heard them every Sunday and throughout the week for your entire life, how are you going at putting them into practice? Do you come to church and hear God's word and then leave no different to how you arrived? Is God's word changing you? An exercise for you to think about, you don't need to answer out loud, but think about something in your life that has been shaped or changed by your reading of God's word recently. And apply recently as far back as you need to. Can you actually identify things in your life that are different because of what you have learned from God? That could be an uncomfortable question for some of us. You no, know, I'm not saying this to judge you. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. But I am wanting to echo the warning of this passage that if you're not doing God's word, if you're just hearing and not applying, then your faith is a house built on sand. And the storm will come. It will come in in various forms. It might be a struggle that you face, a temptation that you wrestle with, a catastrophe in the family. It might be persecution for being a Christian. I don't know what the storm will be. But friend, even if you make it to the end of your life and you've lived in comfort and at ease, if your house is still standing, well, friend, one day you will face the greatest storm. One day you'll have to stand in judgment before God and give account to him for what you have done in responding to the Lord Jesus. And friend, if you're not applying the word of God, then your house will come crashing down. What are you doing with the words of our Lord Jesus? How will you respond? Well, wrapping up now, in verse 28, we read this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus finishes his sermon and people are amazed. They're astounded at his teaching because why? Because he had authority. He spoke not like the other teachers of the law did. He spoke as if he was declaring the law, as if it was his law. He's not just another rabbi, he's God in the flesh. The question is, how will they respond to this word? He is the one to whom all authority in heaven on earth has been given. Jesus is the one God has appointed to judge the living and the dead. He's the one who will decide whether you enter his kingdom or not. He is the one who at the end of your life will say one of two things. It will be either, well done, good and faithful servant, or away from me, you evildoer. Friends, Jesus is the difference between your life and your death. He's the one you were created to enjoy forever. And so the question for the entire, that the entire Sermon of the Mount asks of you Is will Jesus be your king? He has authority. He is on the throne right now. He rules this world. Will you submit to his authority? Will you bow your knee before him? Will you live for him with everything that you've got? Will you follow him? Not just pay him lip service. Not just fill your head with knowledge about him. Will you respond to his call? Will you take hold of his offer and receive life? Let me pray. Lord, help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers. Lord, we have heard you speak to us through scripture this morning. We've heard a warning about being a false disciple. We've heard how important it is that we need to apply your word and actually live and be changed by it. Lord, please change us. Help us to respond to the authority of our Lord Jesus. Because it's good for us. Because it brings You glory. Amen.